The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand Cave Rescue Operation. What is Schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What took an engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out many save the dates? The first Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to Mobile Month on the Voices of Search podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to take a closer look at the small screen and discuss what SEOs need to know about optimizing their strategies, content, and technology for max impact on mobile devices. Joining us today is Andrew Lasseter, who is a product design manager at Udemy, which is an online learning destination that's helped over 30 million students, companies, and governments gain the skills they need to compete in today's economy through over 100,000 courses taught in 50 different languages. And today, Andrew is going to talk to us about his perspective on mobile-first design. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Okay, here is our interview with Andrew Lasseter, Product Design Manager at Udemy. Andrew, welcome to the Voices of Search podcast. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you here. I understand this is your first podcast. So as your old buddy from our days working on a mobile app, I will try to take it easy for you, but you know, no promises. Sounds good, man. So uh, let's start off by just talking a little bit about your background. You and I work together at a company called Handle, mm-hmm. but but give us the uh, full picture. Tell us a little bit about your experience and how did you get into mobile design? Yeah, mobile design, I think I kind of came up through design, you know, around the time that smartphones were first being launched, right? You know, like 2007, 2008, got your first iPhone launching, you know, the app store kind of kicks off and the sort of like emerging excitement around having mobile apps, having a mobile presence starts growing, right? And like on the mobile website, a lot of the work that I would do at the time, the clients wanted to have a mobile website as well, right? So you need to figure out how can we make this like a cool marketing site 
also scale down and work for, you know, the mobile web users. And, and, you know, this is also like the era of like design when unfortunately the expectation around being a designer was like, oh, what, what code languages do you also know as well? Like this, like, you know, job descriptions were like, yes, you know how to be a, a designer, but you also need to know how to write code. And fortunately we're well past that, but that was kind of the era of like, we need to figure out how to make this like CSS breakpoint work, get all this content shrunk down for this mobile screen. That kind of set me on the path to think toward really being interested in what mobile devices can do. And I think just, you know, leaning into that, you just, obviously what we know now about mobile devices is that they're with us like all the time, right? They're with you. Like, you know, I use mine as like my alarm clock. It's like literally like the first thing when I wake up in the morning, I'm looking at my phone. Sadly, checking my email is like the first thing I do. And partially, it's just a mechanism to wake up in the morning. Right. Yeah, I think we're, we're kind of beginning to be more literate about like how we can define our relationships with our devices. You know, now, like 10 years later, we have to sort of like create boundaries, you know, with our phones. Like, all right, phone, I'm going to put you face down on the tabletop because I will tell you when I'm going to give you attention rather than like you telling me when to look at you, you know, like... We're kind of getting to that that chapter of our relationship with our devices now. It's definitely getting more complex. Going going back to your experience, so you know, I know that from working together that your background was more as an artist than as a developer, and so your perspective on design comes more from putting the pixels in the right places than necessarily writing the code mm-hmm. to make sure that the website or mobile app is functioning the way that it should. Yeah, I would say that that's true. You know, my my background is I have like two art degrees, right? So I I definitely sort of approached the longer tail of my history with design as approaching it from like the visual communication side, you know, learning fundamentals of graphic design, figuring out how to use principles of gestalt to, you know, group things appropriately so you can quickly understand like pieces of information as you're navigating a page. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the vast majority of SEOs don't know what gestalt is. <laughs> Give us a definition of what you mean by that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so this, these are like graphic design terms, but like one of the important ones that I think about all the time is like the principle of proximity, which is kind of to say like when you make certain things on a page close together, your brain kind of just like groups them as an object, right? So if you want, mm-hmm. for example, like a CTA to be tied to like a description, like you should make those things closer together than they are to other things on the page. And then suddenly you start to have like a hierarchy form, right? Where your brain can quickly scan and see like what action you're meant to take on a, on a screen or something like that. So that's gestalt? It's like one of the principles. Yeah, there's, there's, okay. there's a collection of those, but... You know, it's worth a Google search. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good to know. That That is something that all SEOs do know about, you know, conducting the Google search to figure out how to do something new. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the process for design. You mentioned that, you know, you basically started working in the technology design and development right around the rise of the smartphone. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the difference between designing for desktop and designing for mobile. Right. I mean, like... The first and most obvious one is just a difference in screen size and how much content you can fit on that in a meaningful way, right? So if you take a desktop screen that's loaded with content and try to squeeze it into a mobile screen, it's not going to be... You just get a bunch of really small fonts and small buttons. Right, right. So yeah, there's like certain things like for designers, you know, like you can't take advantage of things like on a website, you have maybe hover states that 
surface tool tips that help provide context and things like that. On a mobile screen, you need you need to do a better job of setting the expectation of like what is going to happen when you tap on this thing, right? And like we're emerging into more ubiquitous and more subtle interactions like tap and hold or like Apple has like 3D touch and these kinds of things are a little bit more hidden, a little bit more clever. But in general, like a good principle, I think, is to think that the screen needs to be pretty explicit in kind of instructing the user about what they need to do and what's going to happen when they tap on something on the screen. So it's interesting to hear you talk about the different states in that the mobile screen has to be simplified, not only in terms of the design, but also in the explanation of what the page can do. Mm -hmm. When you're thinking about paring down the various types of content, one of the things that you know, on desktop experiences, I see often is things like a right rail or a left rail or, you know, ads that are in different spaces as opposed to everything being structured linearly. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the rules of thumb for actually organizing your content in a way to prioritize it and help people continue to see longer form content or basically scroll down whatever page you're building? Yeah, I think one of the tools that I try to give a user is in the form of what I would call like explicit input. So if you have like a ton of content and you want to fit it onto a small screen, unless you have like a really high fidelity understanding of like why the user is on that screen and what exactly they want, if there's like a variety of things that you need to be choosing from, maybe you need to start like figuring out intelligent ways to truncate that content, but still give the user clear clear ways to tell you, I want to see more of this, right? So potentially that could be like, you have a product with like a description and the description is quite long, but you truncate it to like four lines of text and give them a button that says like, you know, expand to to show more or something like that. And then they can, they can tap on that. And then from there, you can either expand that content so they can dive into that, or you could push them to a new screen where that's, that screen is dedicated to serving that content but just trying to make it approachable and navigable for them. And then also helping them maintain a sense of space. Like where, where am I in the, the larger sort of architecture of this site or this app? Like what happens if I want to go back or what if I want to move laterally or if I want to narrow in on something and sort of helping them understand how they can move. So truncating copy and allowing users to be able to basically expand and read more is a is a tip that makes a lot of sense for mostly when you have longer form content. Mm-hmm. You're you're getting up to talking about navigation. What are some of the things that you consider with navigation when you're moving from a desktop experience to a mobile? Are you actually pairing or simplifying the navigation or are there just different methodologies to be able to sort of cram everything in from mobile specific nav? Um that's a good question. There's like pretty distinct differences, I think, that the patterns that I sort of see for like what you might find in a native mobile app, like an app that you would download from the App Store or the Google Play Store, and what you might find if you get to a mobile web version of a site, you'll likely find a well-established pattern, for example, in native apps is that you'll have what I would call like a primary navigation or like this row of buttons at the bottom of the screen in the form of a, a tab bar or a nav bar that tells you like what are the screens that you can sort of engage with here. On mobile websites, you might see something more like a hamburger menu, which is like the three lines that, that's sort of like the menu icon. 
that you might expect to tap on that and see a drawer push out from the side of the screen with like a list of menu items that you might be able to kind of navigate and dive deeper that way. And those tend to, I think, kind of map much more closely to like a large web architecture than like a native app might, if that makes sense. Time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. What's the reason that the navigation is different between a native app and a mobile web experience? Why isn't it just tabs at the bottom for everything or the hamburger in the top left for everything? You know, I think with hamburger menus, they're typically stuff isn't as accessible, you know, as if you have like a primary navigation with like the most important screens ready with one tap, usually you can make a lot of content accessible really quickly. But really, it's going to depend on what the purpose of that screen is, what role maybe the mobile site plays in the larger sort of product or marketplace strategy you have and those kinds of things. It's going to really depend on the, the greater context there. But you know, there's might be a product where like, you need to sort of have some fleshed out omni channel experience for like, we want mobile web to play this role for, you know, maybe it's like a new user acquisition play. But then for like retention, you push users into a native apps experience where it's a much more performant and polished experience or something like that. It's really going to depend, I think, on what makes sense for the user experience and how they're engaging with your product. And also like what you want them to be doing. So in certain products, you may find that they're very similar. And in others, it might be a distinct but intentional differentiation, if that makes sense. Absolutely, it makes sense. And you know, getting from point A to point B, whether it's on mobile or whether it's on a native app or whether it's on a, a mobile web experience is something that you know, SEOs aren't always responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is included in the navigation and what content is presented is something that falls under the purview of a lot of SEO and content teams. And I think the biggest question for the SEO community is, is how to handle long form and multimedia content mm-hmm. for people that are publishing, you know, what would be blog posts that are you know, thousands of words, right? Like that experience lends itself easily to a desktop experience because you can get a lot of words on the page in one time. But when you're sitting there with a long piece of content that has 
videos and imagery, you know, what's the way to sort of format that content or what do you suggest SEOs do? Do they truncate and pare the content down Mm -hmm. or are there ways that they can build long form content pieces that are still highly engaging? Yeah, I think that there's a number of tips and tricks that you can use. I think one one big one is just figuring out meaningful ways to kind of break up content, right? So in one screen, you might just have a long list of text, right? You have like a, your, your like 2000 word long blog post. But maybe like, you know, if you look at a, a site like Medium, you might find this layout where they're finding meaningful pull quotes. And maybe that pull quote ties really closely to a topic area that you want to rank higher in for SEO purposes or something. Or maybe there are ways in which you can sort of inject related topics or related articles that could be a way to sort of break up paragraphs in that content. Another thing that I can think of is, do you want this content to be navigable with sort of pagination? You know, like, and by what I mean is like, say, for example, if you do, you know, a Google search, you scroll to the bottom of the page, there's always like a page two, page three, etc. Right? Mm-hmm. So do you want to break your content with pagination? Or do you want to have an infinite scroll experience where the user as they scroll down the screen, more content is loading lower and lower. And in pages like that, I've seen some sites that will actually load like a footer with a bunch of content that's actually not really meant to be to be engaged with a ton, but is still on the screen for SEO purposes and like, you know, isn't entirely out of place, right? I think that the, the balance you want to strike is can I put SEO related content on the screen in a way that's also beneficial for the user and maybe finds them, helps them find like more meaningful content that they want to engage with and that kind of thing. With the understanding that you are, you know, the best practice is to break up the large word blocks with things like pull quotes that you mentioned or imagery. Um, Do you find that pagination or endless scroll tends to be more performant? You know, that's a good question. I, my thinking would be that it should probably be first and foremost evaluated for performance and like load time. You know, I think that it's easy for us to think about what it's like to look at a mobile website while you have great Wi-Fi connection while you're at home and on your couch and looking at a site on your phone. But of course, you know, even in a city like San Francisco, as you, if you're on the bus and you're like, getting around town, there's all kinds of like dead zones where suddenly your reception drops off. And then, you know, outside of the US and like all kinds of other countries, emerging markets and these things like the the connectivity you have is going to be way worse than what we have access to here, right? So I think first and foremost, it's like, what loads the content fastest for the user? You know, it's like any other user experience thing, you're not even going to get to if the screen doesn't load, right? Like if your content isn't loading correctly, yeah. or if when it does load, it loads in this kind of broken way because, you know, I don't know, some bug happens, you know, the rest of it's sort of irrelevant. If, the, you know, if your users are going to bounce before they even get the content to load. Right. So if you could make a... I, I think that like the navigation patterns on mobile would tell you that if you can make it performant, like infinite scroll is great because people will load more and more content and they, you know, we have these we're used to looking at our Facebook feed and our Instagram feed and our Twitter feed and just wanting to load more and more and more where pagination requires you sort of make this explicit choice, you know, tap and you wait for another screen to load. So that would be the kind of way I'd think about it. 
Yeah. So it sounds like in a perfect world, infinite scroll is superior, but the caveat is if your website or your backend technology it doesn't necessarily perform or doesn't have the capability of loading the content after the click as the person scrolls down the page, pagination might actually be better just to preserve the, the initial page load time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I was going to add with pagination is that it, it can be good for if you have like a ton of content, right? So for example, if you're like a marketplace and you're displaying search results for a huge catalog, you may want for some reason to show like, oh, in fact, we have hundreds of pages of, of results, right? So you might see a pagination pattern that says like page one, page two, and then shows the last page that is like page 500 because we have X number of thousands of results based off of the search that you've entered. So that may also be a consideration. You may want that as like some kind of evidence to the user that you, know, you have a lot of what they're looking for. So that's like another way to, to think about it from the user's perspective. So last, last question for you. As you're thinking about the relationship between desktop, between the mobile web and mobile apps, what advice do you have for SEOs in terms of what they should be thinking about and, and what might not they be thinking about? Right. I think a good point, you know, a lot of SEOs probably know this. And as far as I know, for native apps, there's not really much to do for SEO, right? Like native apps are a whole separate thing. Yeah, they're not crawlable. Right. So, but what you can do is what you would call like app store optimization, which is to say, you may want to be thoughtful about how you write the content that represents your app, both in the Apple App Store and Google, the Google Play Store. So this might be things like how you write your description. Are you duplicating content in text and in an image? Can you, you know, if you ha- your app icon is shown, do you need to also have you know, your logo in one of the screenshots or can you use a different image in that screenshot? So those those types of things. Whereas like with your website and your mobile website, you want to optimize those based off of hopefully mapping well to where your user is coming from and what entry point they have into those things, right? Where like a, a native app, it's quite likely that your user has at least seen a few images and like a, a brief description of what your product does or what that app does that you're downloading, and you have a more linear path to kind of getting into that. Where with like a lot of pages that you might land on in a mobile website, you know, you may have skipped the part where you're kind of getting the explanation of like what value a user is going to get from this. Yeah, I, I think one of the the common threads that I've heard from conducting the these mobile interviews whether it's somebody with a technical background, whether it's you know somebody like you who's a designer, but understanding the mindset of the user when you're developing the experience is something that's critical. And I think it's something that you know SEOs need to take into more consideration in that you know with your mobile experience, if it's the mobile web, like you're saying, you need some sort of introduction and some sort of onboarding experience that you might not need in your mobile app and, you know, desktop, you have more real estate, but you also want to take cues from your mobile design to a, make sure everything is consistent, but also you don't just want to like fill every pixel on your desktop because it's available, right? You want to keep your designs as simplified as you can Mm -hmm. and, you know, help articulate what the purpose of the page is without having clutter. Right. It's a great way to put it. Okay. All right. Well, Andrew, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you telling us a little bit about what 
the designer's perspective is. And that wraps up this episode of the Voices of Search podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Andrew Lassiter, the product design manager at Udemy. We'd love to continue this conversation with you. So if you're interested in contacting Andrew, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is civilian design, C-I-V-I-L-A-N-D-E-S-I-G-N. Or you can visit his company website, which is udemy.com. Also, if you're interested in finding a new gig, Udemy is hiring. So you can go to udemy.com slash careers. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. If you have general marketing questions, or if you'd like to talk about this podcast, you can find my contact information in our show notes, or you can shoot me a tweet at Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you like this podcast and you want a regular stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed next week. Lastly, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you're feeling generous, we'd love for you to leave us a review in the Apple iTunes store or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay. That's it for today, but until next time, remember, the answers are always in the data.